Hello, and welcome to the She's Heard podcast. My name is Emily Jennings, and you found the place where extraordinary, everyday people from different professions and walks of life share about how they found their voice and are using it to speak up and create meaningful change. Today, I'm speaking with Jerry Chow, who is a Reiki master, experienced designer, and founder at feastongood.com. Jerry is originally from New York and now primarily lives in LA. Jerry started The Feast, which is a moment collective that brings people together to connect with their authentic selves and each other, as well as something greater than themselves, with the intention to live with more joy, fullness, and purpose. In this episode, Jerry shares about key moments on her unique journey that helped her to embody and live with more wholeness and presence. I invite you to grab your favorite beverage, cozy up, really listen, and tune into this soul-nourishing conversation where we discuss how to heal ourselves as well as the greater collective. So without further ado, here's our conversation. My story started just with being, I mean, a little girl. I grew up on Long Island in New York. Even when I was really young, I knew that, you know, I had these animal fact books was super passionate about the planet and um, basically saving it, (laughs) Um, even from a very young age, you know, as a kid would look up to characters like in Captain Planet and even X-Men to some extent, like this, this kind of idea of like being a hero in the world to the point where, you know, like I would pretend to kind of make the wind move with my hands um, sort of thing. And, you know, fast forward into going into college. My family was uh, very sort of business oriented. You know, I'm Chinese American and having Chinese immigrant family, um, very, you know, it's very focused about security and um, making money and, so started in business school, but had a very creative uh, side. And so started looking for some in between um, and found communications and advertising, <laughs> which was something that I could argue was um, still business, but creative. And, you know, started studying that. And in part, one of the reasons that I was really curious about it was you know, even at that point, I was curious about psychology and um, what made what made companies able to convince people that attaining some physical thing could bring them happiness or, um, you know, like Coca-Cola. Um, great example, right? Um, Coke makes you happy. Interesting. Um, how did they do that? So studied that for a bit and then uh, went into communications in New York worked at several agencies um, and then startups in New York and was part of sort of a really robust like creative scene in New York um, that was full of you know this emerging class of entrepreneurial people who were also socially minded um, people who were you know coming from business but also again like the communications world or you know photography world and you know sort of found and started building a community of people who were interested in um, using these amazing skills for 
something more meaningful than selling products. Just sort of started building community, you know, having happy hours and parties with these creative people, you know, around different charities or causes that we thought were really interesting at the time. And um, it was sort of the early days of social innovation. So we were starting to see, you know, designers using good design for social causes. Again, very early days. It was like a new idea, right? Started building this community and um, it was really super beautiful, super fun. My original co-founder in the feast and I, um, a guy named Michael Kajnapricorn, decided to gather people in the form of a conference. You know, we had been coming together in bars and reading about people. And so we, we started the feast actually as a conference. Um, huh. where we brought together innovators from different backgrounds um, to share, you know, like their gifts, their perspective, their experience coming from everything from architecture to productivity, to fashion, to food, um, to talk about, you know, what was interesting given their discipline that could be applied towards making the world better and new things that were happening in the space. And so the feast was born and sort of kept, we, we were doing all sorts of like dinners and drinks in between um, these major conferences. You know, it was really, it was really an inspiring, uh, it's just sort of kept growing and building. And then in 2012, we took a shift because I was seeing this world of digital growing and realized that the conference paradigm didn't really make sense. This idea that people would sit and listen to someone talking at them just felt old. Like, why would you get a whole bunch of amazing people into a room to just sit and listen to something that felt like a, I don't know, just it didn't feel right, especially in this paradigm of everybody participating more, right? So in 2012, um, there was sort of a time to look at what does the world mean now. And so we shifted our whole conference paradigm to being more participatory. So the whole idea was let's get together over things that we care about to collaborate around them, you know, like bring our gifts to the table and see what we can, how we can apply them towards these things that we care about, these issues. So we did that at the conference and then we had people all around the world say like, we want to be involved, but we can't make it there. So we said, well, we're called the feast. So host your own dinner. Um, and that's where the dinners were born. Um, the idea was pick something you care about, bring people together around it and come up with a solution. And so we had tons of people um, hosting all these amazing things. You know, we had six over 600 dinners all over the world. We had you know, thought leaders from founder of Airbnb to the White House coming and participating, creating all sorts of amazing collaborations. I know of all sorts of people who have been inspired by the feast to do what they're doing, including some really incredible people like Brad from Kid President to all sorts of just amazing humans. And then in 2013, I had a life moment where uh, I was actually at Burning Man at the time. And again, you know, the state of the planet has always been a really meaningful, maybe my most meaningful cause, I guess, that I personally care about. And I was at Burning Man and um, it was sunrise. And I remember seeing, being out um, in the desert. And that year the Sierras were burning. 
So there was this huge layer of clouds across the sky and the sun rose and then it disappeared behind this dark cloud. And I just, I lost it. I, I was the saddest I think I'd ever been in my life. And just like, you know, these weeping, these tears. In that moment, this man came over to me who looked like, you know, kind of a wanderer, um, shaman type human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and took my hand and um, I really went from like really frenetic to the deepest peaceful calm I'd ever felt in, in, a, in a matter of a couple of seconds. It was in that moment that I realized that I had the insight that we're never going to fix anything until we heal each other. Um, that's a big one. That's a big one. And we're that's never going to fix anything until we heal each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what's led me on my current course, which, you know, I didn't realize exactly what to do with that insight for a while because, you know, my whole career was based on uh, fixing things. <laughs> Um, I thought that that's what we needed to do. And this idea of healing each other was like completely foreign to me. I didn't, I really, I didn't have the first idea of what that meant or how to do that um, and hadn't even experienced it for myself. Um, but um, through another series of events, uh, my dad ended up getting really, really sick and um, going into the hospital where there happened to be a Reiki practitioner um, who ended up teaching me Reiki. Um, wow, that's unusual to have a Reiki, I mean, to my knowledge, to have a Reiki practitioner in a hospital. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was very, very destined, if you will. Yeah. Um, it felt that way. And so that set me off on the path of a healer. Which Can you say more about your, you know, what happened with your dad and your interaction with the Reiki practitioner? Yeah, sure. Um, so it was funny because I actually, after this Burning Man situation, I was like, oh, maybe I should explore this whole energy work thing and um, decided to take like a Reiki 101 class um, just to learn what this thing was. And then, you know, went off to go see my dad. And uh, within the matter of a couple of days, what was uh, supposed to be a minor surgery ended up in several complications that um, were really catastrophic. The kind that, you know, you just, you don't, a person doesn't survive, like is really a miracle that he survived. And so, you know, it was one of those moments where the doctors all said, you know, get the family here. We don't know what's going to happen. And it put me in the hospital for months, really. Because you were there with your with your dad going, yeah, you know, there. just by his side, going through the process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going through major surgery after, you know, major surgery, just hoping that he could kind of get to the next surgery. And yeah, there happened to be this Reiki practitioner who was actually just the um, hospital pharmacist mm. um, who just offered his services to families um, of those in the hospital and to patients. And he trained all the nurses there and, you know, I went to him just because I was super stressed out, obviously, um, and just felt so much from it. And so I eventually asked him, and he asked me if he would, if he could teach me. He ended up training me. He took me into master level 
of Reiki and has been just an incredible teacher to me. And that just totally, totally changed my life. <laughs> so how would you describe Reiki to somebody who might be hearing this for the first time and with no yeah. experience with it? Totally. So yeah. Reiki is, um, so there are many forms of energy healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Reiki is... Like acupuncture uh, and... Yeah, like... That's the first one that comes to mind when you say that. Yeah. Totally. So energy healing in general just suggests that the body is made up of and there is energy flowing through it, right? Um, that's pretty basic. Like our whole neural network is electricity, but also, you know, like Eastern practices like like acupuncture, you know, suggest that there's energy moving through, you know, different central meridians and points throughout the body. With the um, chakras. Mm-hmm, and, that yeah. relate to different, um, just, you know, kidney, heart, like different points on the body relate to different organs and, and systems. And then uh, there are some traditions that suggest that as with the chakra system and with sort of that there are other energy centers within the body that relate to like the emotional body and where and how we store beliefs and things like that. And so Reiki is a form of Japanese energy healing or was discovered in Japan by a man named Dr. Usui. It basically is a hands-on healing modality where the practitioner can work with an individual and share with that individual uh, it's kind of like a very pure universal form of energy so um, it's not as though the practitioner is is using their own energy and putting it into someone else you're basically kind of like a piece of metal or a conductor of this kind of very light universal energy which just brings things into balance Um, so if you think of like a battery, right? Um, there's positive and negative charges. And just as in nature, there's um, positive and negative charge. And so near an ocean, you know, you have a lot of negative ionic charge, which tends to make people much more peaceful, much more calm. And so you can imagine, you know, if somebody has a lot of positive charge in their body or blockages or, um, you know, emotions that they haven't released, Reiki basically, if you imagine it as like a negative ionic charge, it goes and kind of brings those things into balance. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a, a brief introduction to Reiki. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you had this experience with the pharmacist at the hospital because you were yeah. there with your dad. Yeah, as he was going through this like life threatening rehabilitation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was interesting. You know, I, I partially asked him, it was kind of just an intuition. Like, I think I want to learn this. Hmm. And he said, uh, I was going to ask you if you wanted to learn. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, he ended up teaching me. And, you know, I think there was a part of me that thought that I, w- I just wanted to learn it so that I could help my, my father. But the beautiful thing with Reiki is that you can heal yourself. So you can give um, healings to yourself. And so I really just started doing that every day. I never even really meditated before, but for some reason with this, it was like I just wanted to sit and give myself Reiki just about at least once a day. And as I started doing that, I think I just started to see 
things in my life start to align. I think everybody has those feelings of work that doesn't really feel quite right, but you kind of push past and do it anyway, or meetings that you really don't want to take um, because there's something about a project that's not quite right, but you can't put your finger on it, so you just go through it anyway. Yep. And um, those things became impossible. <laughs> like I couldn't physically bring myself to push through anymore. And I really attribute that in part to, you know, having gone through this experience with my dad, which was just from a personal perspective, helped me realize that, um, you know, I had been striving my whole life to change the world. When here at home, when was the last time that, you know, or how often did I get to spend time with my dad or with my family? And who were my closest friends and relationships? You know, like, did I really give them the amount of time that I would have liked? I think that that situation with my dad brought all of that into focus. And so I think part of the alignment was just me coming to that realization um, that, you know, relationships are the most important thing in our lives. And yeah, that's such a gift of crisis. You know, it just makes all the most important things really, truly come to the forefront. Yeah. And, um, and then I do feel like, you know, the Reiki supported my alignment a lot as well. You know, like right after I got um, what's called an attunement, which is how you learn how to practice Reiki, that's when the meetings became impossible. You know, it was like, I can't get on that flight to go talk with Microsoft. I just, nope, I don't know why, but I can't get on the plane. <laughs> um, and so everything had to change. So what did your... When you say that, because that's a big leap, and I understand, I've had similar experiences in my own life where you're like, this, I could push myself through this before, and now it's become intolerable. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes from, you know, what you place your attention on, the, the more attuned you get to what feels aligned and what doesn't, mm -hmm. and the less tolerant you get for um, misalignment. Right. But what happened, like, did your, did you, you had to quit your job or did your boss say, suck it up, buttercup and get your butt out there? Or what yeah, you, you well, know, like. in this case, I was the boss. So. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, I was still running the feast at the time. And, um, you know, I think that a lot about that year's feast reflected a lot of that change. It was just much more soulful and much more intimate and um, was already sort of shifting more towards a focus on individuals and, you know, supporting them in their journey of becoming leaders. Having that big of a shift, I, I wouldn't say it was easy, you know. I think that it's quite quite challenging and quite scary to jump off that cliff and say like I'm not doing things that aren't aligned anymore because some of us don't even know what is aligned you know because we haven't been doing it yeah for our and lives and there's no one um, around you that's living that way either so it's a, it's a huge transition yeah. and it's terrifying <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really scary yeah um it's scary to not know you know what the answer is. What and I don't know about you, but 
it's an illusion that there is an answer. Right? Yeah. Totally. Right. So totally. to walk around pretending like you have an answer and then realize, oh, wow, everyone's pretending. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. That's kind of terrifying because it just shatters your whole worldview. Yeah. Your whole existence. Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, it's what would have been really helpful at the time is community. Yeah. You know, of people who are uh, dedicated to living in that way, supporting each other through reflection and practice. And I think that's more of what I'm working on creating now, you know, because it's important to live that way. And uh, you really need that support because it can feel very, yeah, just daunting. You know? Yeah. And it's not how I think we're designed as humans. And that's what I so love about what you're creating because it's a, it's, it's like an ancient thing you know, mm-hmm. of sharing conversations and life with the, you know, with people you're, that you love and feed you and you feed them like energetically, intellectually, um, emotionally. And the other thing I, I think that we're seeing collectively is the shift from, I don't remember who I heard this phraseology from, but a shift from the age of the celebrity to the citizen, you know, mm-hmm. to shifting from this like hierarchy, top down kind of, this person has the answer and um, is, has the most power versus to more of a web of relating and I, I love the idea that you can learn something from every single person, that every single person has something to offer, and that you so blatantly said that on this dinner. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, more of that in the world, more of that idea as the norm. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and that's what um, I think, you know, that's been the thing that I continue to return to with the feast. Um, is that, you know, I really always at the core, even through all of its iterations has been this idea that, you know, every person has gifts, has an abundance of something, right. Of experience, of perspective, of, you know, straight up talents. And that when we share that, like, that's when we have abundance, that's when we have a feast. And so creating spaces where, you know, people can do that, especially in support of each other's becoming and becoming, you know, the leaders that they're meant to be in whatever realm, you know, that yeah, in their own life or in on a bigger scale, but most importantly, in your own life, like you got to start there. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, giving people a chance to own that too. I think that, you know, to the point of your podcast, it's like a lot of people takes a while for us to remember or realize that we are full of um, a gift and a truth. And I think part of the feast has always been that, you know, like that everybody has um, an enormity of um, something to offer. And that when we share that, you know, that's when we can really transform things. Yeah, and I'm. This came up in the conversation I had with Dr. Leslie Carr, and I loved her perspective that um, human beings are like seeds, 
and that if you put it in soil and give it sun and water it, it will flourish. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't get those things that help it root and grow and be nurtured, you don't blame the seed. It's the environment, right? <laughs> like you're, not, you're a bad seed. You're not growing. You're like, you don't have the things that are there to like nurture and root and help you thrive. And um, I think the more we become aware and start to look around and look at certain segments of our fellow brother, human brothers and sisters or human brothers and sisters that are, don't have soil and don't have water and don't have sun. We're like, we're all missing out here because they're not thriving. You know, right. like there's a big part of our garden that's not thriving, thriving. I think like you've got to own your own, like heal yourself in order to like help others heal. And so, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, part of, part of the nourishment of the feast now is really just that connection and that community and that, you know, that energy that comes from a space where people are, you know, sharing authentically and able to see the gift in each other. You know, I think that that is so huge to like be seen, you know, as you are and to share something of your experience that can then provide value to others. That's so nourishing. It is. And it's so, when you have that experience, and then you contrast it to what's more common in our culture, which is like, where, what do you do? What college did you go to? What's your job title? Blah, blah, blah. You know, the, it feels so completely different when you start to notice. I'm curious, one of the questions I ask people, and I'm curious from your perspective as a Reiki master, yeah. like we have a tell in our body when something is off, you know, like sometimes it's gut or throat or back or tingling in the hands or I'm curious, like, do you have a tell in your body when, you know, you can tell something's yeah. Oh, off? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and where is it? Um, well, I feel like I've been cultivating that over time. Yeah. Um, to get more and more honed in on like where I'm exactly supposed to be. And so, you know, originally I think the first biggest tell was in my stomach was like, if I wasn't, if I was doing something that didn't quite feel right, like my stomach would just tense up. Right. And I had digestive issues for like years and um, so many people have digestive issues yeah and it's like you know you think about stress it's like stress is stress is a response to danger um and your whole system tenses up to be ordered to be ready to fight or flight you know and so of course you're like, you're not going to eat in that state, you know, like your digestive, your core is where all of your energy comes from. Right. Or you um, shouldn't eat in that state. And so many people still do. You know, right? Right? Yeah. Which makes it even right? worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was sort of the first biggest, I think thing. And then I think the second part of it, I would get really tense in my shoulders like I had shoulder and neck tension for like years to the point where like, you know, when it was stressful, like I would go get a massage like once a week just to be able to function. And um, over time, 
I started doing a lot of somatic work. My partner is a somatic psychotherapist and um, have just been turned on to the intelligence of the body and sort of started exploring like, you know, why are my shoulders so tense? Like, why is my neck so tense? Like, what are the situations that are triggering that? Or, you know, how are my muscles tensing? And just sort of started going into it, you know, in meditation and in Reiki and started noticing this pattern where if I was nervous about something, my brain would turn on and would try to figure things out. And as it did that, like the, my brain would sort of spin faster and faster with all the different possibilities, right? Which would start to make my neck tense and start to bring my shoulders up and actually start to unground me, like to pull my whole back and tailbone up until like the energy of my feet literally like weren't on the floor. And so it's taking me quite some time to like work with that, but I, I'm, I've gotten to a place now of, you know, being able to sit in myself, um, not thinking about the future, you know, <laughs> or like what's going to happen next, but just, you know, like with a presence of what's really present right now. And I'm still working with it, right? Like, I mean, our brains are the first go-to to be like, what do we do, right? Um, let's figure our way out of it. But for me, at least, you know, I've been in this practice of really being grounded in the present moment and what wants to happen next and not needing to be the one to figure everything out, you know, like trusting that things that, that if I am present and I'm responding to what, what, what wants to happen next, that things are going to emerge in the right way if I'm, if I'm coming at it from my authentic self. And that it's okay to give away the parts that I don't need to be doing. You know, I think like even as an entrepreneur or someone as a change maker, I have lots of ideas and lots of vision. And I, it's a new realization for me that I don't have to be the one who does everything to bring that into form. Maybe I'm just the person who like gives that idea away, or maybe I'm the person who you know, starts a concept and licenses it. Or maybe I'm the person who, yeah, again, like I, I met this guy in, um, in Hawaii. He was uh, just such a character, super kooky, super out there. And he was just telling me about his life. And he, you know, he was a guy, I don't know if you've seen that movie, Men Who Stare at Goats. I haven't seen that, but it's okay. so hilarious. So basically, he was the guy who started like the CIA remote viewing program um, that was looking into like est and like psychic stuff for the military. And he was telling me about how like you know he just like made these manuals. He's a he's an artist, so like he like made these like cartoon graphics on like psychic abilities and started this program internally and just like didn't really do that much, but kind of like catalyzed it. And this manual that he created just sort of started spreading organically as like this weird underground thing that like you had to be in the know to be a part of this program. But then he also was saying he's the guy who started Captain Planet. He's the guy who met with Deke Comics and basically just said like, I have this idea. Do you guys want to make it and buy it? 
Oh my gosh. And sat down with them and like developed the characters. And then they How perfect that you met him. (laughs) I know. It was like this whole crazy, like, I was like, okay, I'm on the right track here. (laughs) But the point being is, I guess it's kind of like, you know, giving up the ego enough to say, I'm here to support things on the planet happening and to just not have an attachment to it. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, like the most important thing is that these things happen. And that I am in the place where I am perfectly offering my gift and not, not too much and not too little, but just exactly what I'm here to give. And then like, let go. I don't have to own the whole thing. I don't have to drive the whole thing. And there will be certain things that I am meant to drive and that I do need to take a stand and be the person who has authority and things like that. But Lots of other things were like, I really don't. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. Well said. I know in one of our earlier conversations, you were talking about the father of PR. Uh-huh. And how, you know, what he, he was, I think, the nephew of Freud. Yeah. And how you were really struck by how he could manipulate consciousness with media mm-hmm. and you wanted to figure out how to do that for good. <laughs> <laughs> Can yeah. you say a little bit about that? Yeah. And um, so this is, this is kind of a funny thing that, you know, my, um, the curiosity that I had going into college around psychology and its potential application for good was where my journey kind of started. And it's interesting that it's kind of coming full circle back now with what I'm creating now. Um, And I just want to share that, you know, a friend of mine had once said that sometimes life can feel circular, but it's actually a spiral. Oh, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not that you're yeah. Not that you're returning to the same point. It's the same point, but one level up. Yeah. It's, so, a, it's a spiral up, not down. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure you're going the right direction. Yeah, make sure you, yeah. Yeah. Friends <laughs> to remind you, no, this direction. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. okay. Yeah. Back yeah. to the spiral. <laughs> one lower. Turn around and go the other way. Um. Yeah. So for that, you know, I think that speaks more to the work that I'm doing now, which is much more around creating experiences that connect people with each other, like real, real deep connection. Because one of the things you said earlier, too, that I was moved by is that we find ourselves in community Mm -hmm. with each other. Mm -hmm. There's, and I think it's a common belief is that no, you go kind of isolate yourself and you power through and you read all the books and then you create the thing and then you conquer everything and then you found it. Right. And well, yeah, you do need some level of autonomy and self-awareness. We really truly do find ourselves being reflected back. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for me, you know, I know that my purpose in this world has to do with bringing people together in community and um, helping people realize their gift. And as you said, you know, that, that happens in community. You know, we realize our potential in community. There's, there's a couple of people 
actually like the the Blackfoot tribe, which is a Native American tribe. A lot of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like Maslow drew a lot of inspiration from this tribe for that hierarchy mm. of needs. And few people realize that near the end of his work, the top of the pyramid wasn't self-actualization, it was transcendence. And, and that speaks to sort of like a sort of spiritual transcendence. Um, but the thing about the Blackfoot tribe is that their pyramid, the base is um, self-actualization. It's not the top. The base is self-actualization. The layer above that is community actualization. And the layer above that is transcendence. Wow. And so it's this idea that, you know, you don't, it's not that you get all of your basic needs met first so that you can transcend. The idea is you, you, you realize your purpose first so that you know what you're doing here. And then you're in community and you, the community realizes its purpose so that every, everything is met in that way as opposed to an individualized, like I need everything that I need first so that I can realize this thing. It's like, no, no, no. Like you sit and you know why you're here first. <laughs> um, and then in community, we empower each other to realize our potential together. Um, and that's what's cr what creates, you know, a stable and strong society that allows for this transcendence and this kind of ongoing wisdom. But there's also this, uh, this amazing author uh, and, and expert in myth and, and story named Michael Mead, um, who's done a lot of this work as well. And, and in, in his research, he's, he suggests that in order for you to live your gift and to give your gift, um, it needs to be blessed. So it takes, as you, as you said, you know, someone seeing this in you, seeing your gift and saying like, yes, you know, like, go do that. Um, because as you mentioned, like it's, it can be so challenging to see, see ourselves and it's often the thing that comes easiest to us. That's our gift, right? Like the thing that we don't even think is a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. That we don't um, even think is a gift. You're like, no, that's just it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but to your, to the, to the piece about, um, his name's Edward Bernays. Um, nephew of Freud. Nephew of Freud. Okay. Um, and the father of PR. Okay. Um, and so he is fascinating. Basically, you know, he was the nephew of Freud and he was very interested in the masses. Um, and, and the sense that he believed the masses were irrational um, and that, uh, you know, being the nephew of Freud uh, believed that, you know, they were governed by uh, unconscious desires in the thirties and forties really started PR through aligning things, physical things and products with the satisfaction of these unconscious desires. And so I think the example that I mentioned to you, and there's a great documentary about it, was cigarettes that, you know, back in the 30s, men smoked, but women did not. Um, it was very taboo. And, you know, the cigarette companies were like, hey, we want women to smoke. Like we want 50% of this market, right? And so what he did was did a bunch of research and realized that, you know, women associated cigarettes with 
like a phallic symbol of power. And so if you could offer women this power, then they would start smoking. And so what he did was he organized, you know, during a big parade, um, a bunch of suffragettes got them to hide cigarettes under their dresses and at a particular location, a particular moment, asked them to light up these cigarettes and call them freedom torches. And so, so crazy. <laughs> they did that. Yeah. The press obviously took a bunch of photos. Yeah. And from that moment on, within the collective like public psyche was this idea that, oh, like if you have this object, right, that represents power, then you can have power. He was really quite a genius at aligning the satisfaction of these, these underlying urges with physical products. And it was actually part of a larger kind of dialogue around whether really like a control of people and these unconscious desires, this feeling of by the industrialists that we needed to do this so that people don't basically go wild, like they need to be controlled. And so mm. if we can quelch these desires that are, you know, anim animalistic around, you know, like sex and power, then they, you know, they won't rise up, they won't, you know, become heathens, basically. <laughs> it's like a collective sedating of of the ignorant masses yeah so to speak yeah. yeah oh that's fascinating and and that is kind of where our consumerist culture was was born and yeah. um and so now i think that you're seeing the effects of that you're seeing you know isolation and loneliness i mean depression know, ptsd in some of the wealthiest neighborhoods yeah totally and um you know, isolation is on a crazy rise. I think that like there's something like 40% of people that say they're lonely. Um, and, and it's literally, you know, like leading people to depression and suicide. And it's a really, really big mental health issue. And so, you know, I feel like there's this new tide of possibility of leveraging these same, I guess, addressing people's urges, but fulfilling them with what they actually want right and <laughs> a healthier way in a healthier way yeah. yes. that's it's also not. more sustainable for the planet <laughs> yeah you know i mean we have products that i mean everything from like bank of america to cell phones that suggest that opting into this product will bring you will connect you right but the underlying urge is connection so they're advertising connection, but they're not actually offering connection. Right. So what if you were to create, you know, experiences that actually offer that? And you're um, doing that. Yeah. And, and I was so, like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you need actual connection. Yeah. And like appealing to all the things that like we love, right? Beauty, playfulness even, you know, like allure and sexiness, you know, these are all things that are make total sense that we want, you know, we want, we want joy, we want wonder, we want, you know, lusciousness. And so we can use those things to communicate and to create experiences, but that actually offer people what it is that, you know, they're looking for that actually, you know, deliver on that promise right. without physical things. And you know, there's a lot of conversation right now. It's like kind of, it's so interesting that, you know, innovation, innovation is still a buzzword, but it's, it, it was 
um, a little bit. It's getting a little bit passe now. And now everybody's talking about experiences, right? The experience economy. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like people want to feel and they want to experience things and, and physical objects are becoming less and less relevant. And, and people so, are starting to notice it just weighs you down. It's like, yeah. oh, you've got a, gi- a giant house full of stuff and you're miserable. Right. Then what really does? Oh, it is experiences with the people that you care about. Right. Yeah. Sometimes and sometimes not, but most of the time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, ideally, I think that you could have an experience that is just fun, right? And those are important too. But I think what I'm curious about is, is experiences that really offer that, you know, that deep connection and that deep understanding of and connection with self and kind of the splendor of it. You know, I think that all, all people deep down are really beautiful and we're full of like aliveness and joy. You know, you look at kids like, I feel like that's kind of <laughs> deep down what we are, you know, like we're, we're super curious and super alive and along the way, you know, um, society and parents and things, you know, start to kind of dull that and say that, no, you can't be that way or don't be too loud or don't feel those things or, you know, you have to go um, this way and the things that you naturally express aren't actually what you should be doing. And I think we kind of forget who we are. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just really passionate about creating experiences that bring us back to that and bring us back to that pure, more pure sense of who we are and, and that wonder and that that is, you know, what's valuable. And it's so powerful too. Yeah. It nourishes in a way that is satisfying. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you more thirsty. It quenches your thirst, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we're all constantly evolving and becoming Mm -hmm. and you mentioned you're kind of in the you feel like you're in the middle space you're like not quite to I don't know what exactly you said but like the level of where you want to be or yeah um and so I'm curious with what you know now you know hindsight is always 2020 right and I love the question of like would you have any advice to give to your younger self Mm -hmm. as you're kind of evolving and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't because you kind of have to go through what comes up in order to gain the wisdom that you now have Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean I resonated with you feel like you're kind of in the middle of the journey Mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of wisdom in being in the middle of the journey (laughs) and then also reflecting on okay being in the middle of the journey then what what advice might you tell your younger self um so being in the middle of the journey i feel like i'm i'm living it from the perspective of being in the middle of the adventure you know i think that there's so much of um and it makes sense right like there's a part of the self that like is preservationist and it's like I want to know that I'm going to be okay, (laughs) that I'm going to be safe. And, and so we want to know what happens or we want to have gotten to the place that we want to get to already. Right. 
But if you think about adventure, maybe the goal is to get to the top of the mountain, but the fun part is getting there. Totally. And, um, and finding your way and getting lost in like all of this stuff. Um, Bumps and the bruises and the ups and the downs along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And the peak is great too. Mm -hmm. Um, But then once you reach, reach the peak, then you start another thing, right? Like you, Start all over again. Yeah, it's not like yeah. you just sit on the peak for the rest of your life. Like, yeah. you just, Boring. <laughs> yeah, you just keep going on more adventures. And so I think that being in the middle of it, I'm just kind of practicing again, kind of being in the moment with with what's here and like enjoying it while it's happening, you know? Of this like like if you were on an adventure, your eyes would be wide open right? Like looking for all of the information and, and looking for the signs and, and that you're headed in the right direction or, you know, stopping to appreciate the beauty and asking for advice. And, you know, that's, that's all a part of it, right? And you can prepare for your journey, et cetera. But, you know, whenever you hear people's stories about adventure, it's always like, the crazy time that they found themselves in like a snowstorm in the Andes with like no shoes and thought they were going to die, but then got taken in by, you know, someone who magically appeared. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like those stories that are like, Oh my God. Like to get to tell those, I think is, is just really like, that's kind of like what life is about and about adventure. It seems like you've definitely gotten better at being present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's part of the skills that skill that you've gained along the way. Yeah, and it it's definitely a practice. Yeah, I think like again, like for a really long time, my brain would just spin, you know, like just keep thinking about ideas over and over again, and and also just like creating the whole vision and thinking that like I, I needed to do it all right now. And you had to have all the details. Yeah. All like, the this details. This is a general vision. And then we take the next step and then right. it evolves as you go. Yeah. And that's so much more fun too, right? Like to actually get to be who you want to be in the process of creating what it is that you want to create, you know, to like live the values that you're looking to have in something I think is so important. And I think, that sometimes gets lost in the social impact space. There can be this like, and and I I say this from my own perspective of like, things need to be serious, you know, and we need to, like, this is really important. So we can't like, we can't play and we can't like, and I understand that like there are things that are very sensitive and need to be done with incredible amount of integrity and precision and things like that. But it doesn't mean that like, yeah, I guess, I guess I, I definitely wasn't living the values of what I wanted the world to be like as a result of what I was creating in the process of creating it. I had much more of a Machiavellian view of like, like I have to do this serious thing so that the world is better. Yeah. There's a heaviness to it. Right. And like my world sucked as, as a result of it. Right. Right. (laughs) And so I've just really shifted to this feeling of like, well, like I want a world where people are light and happy and empowered and wondrous. And like, I'm not going to get there unless I'm that way. 
That's so big. Yeah. That's a big aha. Yeah, huge. And it's a, it's a constant, I mean, it has been really challenging because I think a lot of our conditioning says otherwise. Yep, right? strive, hustle, push, go. Time yeah. is money, rush, 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 rush. Right. As opposed to setting the intention and kind of trusting that you're not alone in that intention. And that right. like there's this web of, I don't know, energy, forces, community that's there to kind of hold you. Right. You yeah. know, and I think of nature. You mm. know, I look at nature. It's not like the plants are like, I got to streamline this fermentation process. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to get through the spring season faster. <laughs> you know? like, or like you look at a, a mom, you know, a mother who's pregnant, who's like, really, I need to like hack this gestational process. Right. You know? Like where there's like, there's an ease in the, the hibernation winter phase. And then in this, you know, the, the budding of spring and then the productivity of summer and then kind of right. the dying off of fall. And like, there's, a, a trusting of the process with the seasons that I think mm-hmm. I noticed has come with age. That's so nice. Like, yeah. To trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And you're not alone. Yeah. 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 But yeah. to still like set your intention, like to still have an intention of what you want to create, but yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, you know, like, tiny sprouts that are growing into trees can totally cut through rocks you know bird but they don't like Mm. they're not like oh i have to break through this rock right now you know like they're just growing like they're doing their thing and like they're just going in this direction yeah and like trees just totally like tear up sidewalks right (laughs) you know it's like but it's this really grounded steady like I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm just being a tree you know like I think about that sometimes where it's like again in another Native American culture they don't say that like a hawk is flying uh, for example like they say that a hawk is hawking and so sometimes I think about that where it's like what is it to be jerrying you know like what is it to just be being me and to let the doing come from that yeah oh that's gold yeah that's such a great inquiry such a great thing to sit with yeah I think that starting just starts with being and just exploring what it is to be you you know, like, what are the things that bring you joy? Like, what are the things that you want to do for no reason? <laughs> I, li- I like to ask people if there were, if you had all the money in the world and had won every prize and every accolade and were recognized by every person, what would you do next? And that just, you know, goes to say, like, don't do it for anybody else. You know, like, what is it that your body just wants you to do next? And, um, and then if you don't know, like, just get curious. Yeah. You know, just get curious about what that would be and maybe even why you don't know. Yeah. 
you know, and just start, start digging. And noticing. Yeah. It's like what perks you up over yeah. there and then over there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, love. Thank you so much. Thank you. Such a gift. Really. Talking really with wonderful. you. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. <sighs> <laughs> so good. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was Jerry Chow. You can learn more about the feast at feastongood.com. If you have a story to share or an experience that helped you find your voice, I'd love to hear your story. Please go to she'sher.com and click on the button that says share my story and sign up for our newsletter for updates on the latest releases and opportunities to connect. Tune in to the next episode. More inspiration, wisdom, and insight is on the way. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, be well.